All right. Well, uh, well, today is, uh, I mean, it's traditionally, today is, is Christmas Sunday. It's the Sunday after Christmas when, you know, churches, you know, really uh, around the globe sort of focus on the events of Christmas, something we normally do. We have sort of Adventy uh, things sometimes uh, and extend Advent messages throughout the year towards Epiphany and stuff like that. But uh, this year, we're not going to be doing a, a, a particular special Christmas message. In, in fact, uh, we're going to be talking about, about war, uh, which, which seems like the opposite Right of what you would expect uh, for Christmas. Uh, well, probably not you guys would. I think I literally had a, a service, a Christmas service one time that was Christmas is war. Uh, but the reason we're doing that, and this is the, the sovereignty of the Lord, is that uh, our message, even unintentionally, our messages have been Advent messages. What makes Christmas so great? What makes the coming of, of Jesus, what makes his birth so significant, so glorious as we looked at, uh, as, we, as we just sang about the, the great glory of the Lord? What, what causes uh, that? Why is this a time where we can talk about uh, the gloriousness of Christ? And of course, that's exactly what Peter is talking about. Peter has laid down at the end of 2 Peter that we're to be giving him glory both now and to the day of eternity. And so really Peter's message is pointing back to the same thing uh, that Christmas is celebrating uh, about why this time is so great. And so, you know, even, even as I was thinking about, man, do we want to take a break from 2 Peter and do uh, some sort of Advent messages? Because this is a significant time in, in the church's life. thought, man, well, that's exactly what Peter is doing. He's telling us why the coming of Christ is so great, why Christmas is such a, a celebration. And, and war might be actually one of the most fitting messages for any Christmas sermon because Christmas is war. And it really always, it always has been. I mean, it, it, is, it is, Christmas is an invasion and Satan knows it. I mean, if you go back and look, I mean, whether you, this is, I, I started to, to pull out all these Christmas passages that we read and there is war, not in the background, but very much at the forefront, whether it's Micah talking about Bethlehem or, or Matthew and the birth of the child or Revelation and the dragon that is chasing the woman who's going to give birth to the child and uh, all of these things, uh, the birth of Jesus is warfare. And so it's absolutely perfect that this week we're going to be looking at the war uh, that Jesus wages against our enemies. That as we're walking through what is so glorious about Christ, as we're looking at why he's glorious as Lord, glorious as Savior, glorious as, as our Christ. And, and now we're focusing on the glory of him as our Savior, saying that he saves us from our sin. And now looking at how he saves us from our enemies. That's very much a, a Christmas message. And in fact, the passage that we've been looking at to show us how do we know Jesus is going to save us from our enemies? Why, when we talk about Jesus as our Savior, why do we have to talk about him saving us from our enemies? Why can we not just focus on saving us from our sin? Why is it greater than that? Well, because the Bible tells us that it is, and it tells us that in the birth stories of Christ from Luke chapter 1. And so that's where we've been springboarding. So let's do that again. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word, Luke Chapter 1, verse 68, this uh, message of, of Zechariah as he's prophesying, moved by the, the Spirit to say these things. And of course, then Luke was moved to write them down. He um, says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We have just finished a week uh, and a month, really, of celebration, Father, that began with uh, that first Advent Sunday uh, in December, or really in November this year. And God, thinking about you and, and putting Christ in Christmas every day for our families and our homes, building up to that, to that great day and culminating in, in this time where we're rejoicing and, and giving gifts because of the great gift that has 
has been given to us and all of that celebration, a celebration that is, I'm sure, to the irk of Satan has flooded the world uh, where people are celebrating Christmas who in their lives deny Christ. Uh, Father, it is such a world-changing, momentous event. Uh, And Father, as we celebrate it, thinking about uh, our Savior, uh, God, we thank you for passages like this that teach us that you, you did send him to save us from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Uh, and so we thank you for our Savior. I pray that as uh, we look at how he saves us and what he calls us to do in light of our salvation, that, Father, we would glorify him, not just in having one day where we celebrate the coming of Jesus, but where our lives, our lives celebrating that fact. Uh, so it is in Christ's name that uh, we pray and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Amen. All right. Uh, so Jesus saves us from our enemies. That's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. He, uh, Bible says he has defeated our enemies. He is now reigning over them. He will one day utterly destroy them. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, we saw last week the battle continues for us. And so G- Jesus defeats uh, our enemies uh, and is going to do that through his people through us as we are then called his warriors called to fight caused to called to wage war and so we asked last week okay if we're to fight the good fight and we're to wage the good war how are we supposed to do that how do we do that as Christians? And so we went to Ephesians and saw the call to put on the armor of God. We looked at preparing for the battle, this, this great uh, sort of, and we talked about it after service, this great almost Greek epic uh, description of battle that you would expect in something like the Aeneid. Uh, and here it is, or, or, or like in some work of Homer. Uh, and here it is laid out uh, for us, the putting on of this armor and preparing preparation for battle and we saw the need for us to armor up because we know the battle is coming but then remember and I love it and it's hard because I geek out about these things to not see that end uh I think all of scripture of course is written intentionally you've got the buildup of all this armor and then that reaching down and grabbing of the sword uh, preparing us to then fight. Uh, so you armor up and then that call to fight. Uh, and so the question we ask now is if that's how we prepare for battle, today is how are we supposed to fight? Okay, if we've got a sword, right? And the sword is, we assume, not like medieval sword, in many cases, not just decorative, right? You're not just some weirdo who bought a sword from that one store in the mall, uh, but it's actually got a purpose. Well, how are we supposed to use the sword? How do we fight? Because it's not just put on the armor, grab a shield, and get on a knee and hold tight. Uh, we reach for a, a sword. And so as Christians, that's what we're going to look at today. How do we as Christians, how do we fight? And the first thing we're going to see is we fight the right way. Fight the right way. Uh, I think sometimes as, as believers, as Christians, we can think that uh, as long as we're doing something, that, that's fighting. You know, just do anything. Just do something. And, and like if we're just flailing about even with the sword, there's some sort of noble effort uh, in that. And, and I would say there is truth in that you should rejoice that you're fighting at all. Uh, there is, uh, there is great, uh, encouragement in that because we know we wouldn't even want to fight against sin. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be fighting our against, against our enemies. Cause as Jesus said, the reason the world doesn't hate you is you're still a part of them. Uh, so we're not going to have enemies to fight against if we're still on the side of the enemies. So the fact that the world hates us, the fact that Satan hates us, the fact that death is out to get us, all of those things are a sign that we've switched sides. So it's a good thing that you're even picking up a sword and the enemy's coming at you. There's a, there's a general sense in the goodness uh, of that. But we've also, in Scripture, been given directions on how to fight. Now, if, if we're still keeping with the, the soldier analogy and the, and the lordship of Christ, uh, we are these soldiers and, and we've been given commands from our king on not just, hey, guys, go out and fight, but how to do it. 
And so the, the Bible tells us, look, there's a, you can fight, but there's a way to fight right. So it's not just go out and, and attack your enemies and, and fight against sin any way you choose. There is a right way to do it as believers, a right way to think about it, and a right way to act it out. And, and so, for example, we saw that uh, a couple places in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, uh, where Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Again, not just fight, but fight the good fight of the faith. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 18, uh, it says that by them you may wage the good warfare. So, that, so there are good ways to fight, there are bad ways. It's not just fighting that's important, not just picking up the sword, but it's using it the right way. Uh, it's not just going to war, it's waging the good war. Uh, and so, in fact, the Bible warns us that if we don't fight right, we aren't a part of the solution. If we don't fight right, we're actually a part of the problem. So, for example, Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. So, right there you are with the desire for us to take up our sword and use it, but to use it in the wrong way, right? So, I've got a sword and I'm avenging, but I'm avenging myself. He says, Believers or beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We cannot overcome evil by fighting evil with evil. We will only overcome evil when we fight it with good. And that means there's a right way and there's a wrong way even to fight against our enemies. And that if we fight evil the wrong way, then instead of overcoming evil, Paul warns us that we will be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil. How do you do that? You overcome evil with the good. The example he gives is uh, feeding your enemy, uh, giving him something to drink. Uh, that in doing that, you're actually fighting him. You're actually, that's, you're actually putting burning coals on his head. Uh, that's the way you're actually winning, right? Uh, the world would say, no, that's not the way you win. The world would say, avenge yourselves. And God says, yeah, you've got to get out of that. You've got to fight the right way. And if you don't, instead of overcoming evil, which you think you're going to do by fighting the way you want to, if you do it that way, instead of overcoming evil, you're going to be overcome by evil. Uh, and that, that's, that's the importance of what we're going to look at uh, this week is if we're not prepared for the war, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we don't stand. And, and if we're not going to fight the right way, then we're not stopping evil, we're helping it. And so it's going to be very important for us to see how do we fight right? Because if you're not fighting right, you're not going to be fixing what you're trying to fix. So let's say, for example, last week we talked about, you know, uh, defending your marriage or defending your home. Or look, if you want to fight, if you want to fight for your marriage, if you're not fighting the right way, you're not helping. Right? If you're like, okay, we've got to fix our marriage, so I'm going to start doing this. And you start trying to hack at and change the marriage, but you're, you're, not, you're fighting for your marriage, but you're not fighting the right way. Maybe you're going to fight this way because you read it in a book somewhere that says this is what you're supposed to do. Or maybe you're going to do this because uh, you've got a cousin that said he had trouble with his third wife. And this is what worked there. Uh, or maybe, you know, whatever it is. You, maybe you're just thinking, I'm going to try something. Uh, you do the Costanza method and say, everything I've done has been wrong. So I'm just going to do the opposite of whatever I think is right. And that's going to help. Whatever it is, if, if you're not fighting the way that the Bible lays out for us to fight against uh, sin and our enemies against Satan, the spiritual forces that hate our marriages, right? Satan hates your marriage. The demons hate your marriage. The, the world will hate your marriage. So if we're going to fight for those things and against the pressures from the world, uh, both spiritual uh, and earthly, for the sake of our marriages, you've got to not just fight, you've got to fight the right way or you're not helping, you're creating a problem. And so uh, as pastors, we've had conversations with people who we've tried to fix this and it's just not being fixed. But when you lay out, how did you try to fix it? You go, well, this and that and that are not what the Bible says to do. So, of course, it didn't work. It's the same thing in your homes. If you want to if you want to fight for your children, right, you 
turn on the TV, you look at the, the Instagrams or the Snapchats, uh, or you see the TikToks, uh, and you go, what in the world are we going to do for our kids? Everything is, seems to be setting up to warp their minds from young ages to begin to accept things that we know are unbiblical. How can I fight to protect my children and make sure that they know how to slay those things rather than bowing down to them? Well, if you're not fighting for your children the right way, you're not, to steal from what Paul says, you're not rescuing them from evil, you're delivering them to it. And that's the frightening thing, because Paul says here, look, If you fight against your enemies who deserve the wrath of God poured out on them, but instead of doing it God's way, you do it your way. Instead of of feeding them and giving them something to drink and heaping coals upon their head that way, you take it upon yourself to avenge your name the way you want, then rather than overcoming evil, you're going to be overcome by evil. And so we've we've got to fight for our homes, we've got to fight for our marriages, but we've got to fight the right Way Well, then that raises the question, of course, what is the right way? Okay, guys, fight the right way. See ya. Uh, you know, all right. Uh, and then step outside and go, well, what's the right way? Uh, I, 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 I remember I was just talking to, to Brian about this the other, uh, other week. Did, did I ever send you the picture of that hitting book that I found at my dad's house? I can't remember who. I think it was like Dave Edwards, like an old school, like baseball player hitting book. And it was like hitting the right way. And I didn't just grab that book and go, okay, well, now I've got the book. And it says, well, I've got to hit the right way. You have to read to see what the right way is. And the same thing's true in Scripture. You can't just say, okay, God, I want to do it right. You've got to know what the right is. And God tells us what the right is. He gives us a description of the right. And that's good because a lot of times we'll tell God, I want to do it the right way. But when the right way is laid in front of us, we go, but not that way. Like, is there another right way that I could do? Uh, and so now we need to see how does the Bible define uh, the good fight? What does that look like? What does uh, a specifically Christian good fight look like? Uh, how do Christians, in other words, fight in the Lord's army? The first thing we're going to see is that we fight prayerfully. You fight prayerfully. And we get this from Ephesians. So jump back to Ephesians 6. Uh, We're going to read verses 10 through 20 again to see the buildup to this. Because again, I think along with that reaching of the sword, it's a very cinematic, very intentional, poetic uh, description here that is contrapositioned to your normal Greek uh, uh, picture of war. Uh, But look at what it says, uh, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so, and so that's uh, uh, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So again, you see this scene of this man armoring up sword in hand. And what is the first thing God tells us to do now that we're in our armor and we've got a sword? What's the first thing he tells us to do? Pray. Look at verses 18 through 20. That's where you see that. Praying at all times. It's just, just built up. Just armor. So it's, it's this wonderful picture here of praying at all times with all prayer and all supplication. And, and I love it because there's this, this putting on the armor, the grabbing of the sword, and then what? Now, what do we do? You know, you can almost picture everyone because it would take minutes and time for these warriors, they know, to get ready. And they armor up and they're ready to go. They grab their sword and they look at their commander and they say, now what? And he says, all right, take a knee. Pray. And not just, he says, not just praying, but what? 
praying the whole time, praying at all times in the spirit. And not just praying one prayer, pray, pray all the prayers, right? Uh, I want you to pray all the time. I want you to pray all the prayers with all prayer and supplication. This is not about a single moment. In our, it's not like if we're going to fight, we pray before we fight. And it's not just like, okay, I, I want to defend my home. I want to defend my marriage. I want to I be uh, on the attack against the forces of evil. How do I do that? Well, you pray and then you get to work. It's not that. It's the whole time. The whole time in our fight, we are supposed to be prayerful. The whole time we're fighting for the good and the right and the kingdom. The whole time we're, we're, we're to be crying out to our father. And, and, and notice in this, it's not just prayers for us. It includes not just praying for yourselves, but praying for others. Because he says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for whom? For all the saints. This is, again, I love, I love the picture of the Christian battle is that you and I, and this is what the world gets, and we've got to make sure we get it. You're not just here, and we're not just gathering together to make sure that you and your home are okay. There's, there's, no, there's no picture of you just sort of being here and taking care of you, and then you sort of distance yourself from everybody else and come in. This is all, your entire fight is praying not just for you, but for all the saints. You're fighting not just for yourself, but for everyone. Making supplication for all the saints. And our fight, our fight against sin, our fight against evil, uh, battling here is never, never just about us and our homes. It's about the kingdom. It's about God's name and God's people and our brothers and sisters. It's about fighting for all the saints. So, so we're supposed to be so geared toward fighting that we even take up swords for others. We even fight for our brothers and sisters when they need it. When you, when you fall, when you aren't the man you need to be, the woman you need to be, it, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone in your house and it affects everyone in your church. So when you're not fighting right, when you're not, when, when you're not battling right, it's something that, that affects everybody. And we so love our brothers and sisters that we are willing to fight for them. So when we get ready and we're armored up and and we've got our sword, we bend the knee and our thoughts aren't just on us. We're lifting up other, uh, other families in prayer. We're lifting up other men, other wives, other children. Ready to fight for them if we need to. I, mean, I, I love that this section on the armor of God ends in prayer because I think it, 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 bookends, it bookends in Ephesians 6 very, very well. Because remember when we began the fight, it began in humility. Remember what the first thing it said in Ephesians 6.10? What was the first thing it said? Finally, be strong in what? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it began, remember, we begin in preparation very humbly. Our strength comes only from him and we end it still very humbly, continuing to turn. So when we get ready to fight, we go, God, the only way I can do this is through you. And when we are armored up and we have the sword, what do we do? We then bow the knee and we pray and we say, God, if if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to fight well, if I'm going to be a good soldier for you, it is only going to be through your strength. It is only going to be because I'm strong in you and in in what you've done. And, And a Christian always fights prayerfully. The, the Christian's fight is always outward and upward. With every stroke that we're fighting against sin, with every time we take the sword of the word and, and jab it into the darkness, we do it every swing with a prayer on our lips. Never confident in ourselves, but always confident uh, and, and crying out to the Lord. And that leads us to the next thing. So the the Christian uh, fights the right way by fighting prayerfully. The Christian also fights with confidence. Even though though we battle, even though we're in a battle, even though we're waging a war, and Paul doesn't seem to take it easy when he's like, hey guys, remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers. We're not like, 
Well, that seems worse, right? Uh, it's, that doesn't seem, it's like, well, I, I wasn't sure I could handle flesh and blood. How am I going to handle this? There is for the Christian the confidence that our victory is assured if we're truly saved. It. So when the Bible talks about our fighting, when it talks about fighting for the Christian, it, there is always the assurance of a positive outcome. In, in other words, Christians fight against our enemies knowing that in Christ and because of Jesus, through Jesus, we're going to win. We're not going to lose. This, this, is the, this is the reason that, that us taking vengeance against our enemies is a lack of faith. Because it's telling God, I'm not sure you're actually going to handle this in the end, so I've got to handle it right now. Or I'm not sure your vengeance is going to be as good as mine, so I've got to do it right now. And what that is, is it's a lack of confidence. It's a lack of trust in the Lord. But the Bible tells us that when we fight, we are going to win the battle. So, for example, let's look at a, places, a couple places where Christians are called uh, to fight and the confidence that the Bible gives us in that fight. Let's take, for example, the world. In our fight against the world. Well, what does, what does John say? First John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. He says, For everyone who has been born of God, everyone who has been born of God, every believer, every Christian, that's all of you. If you're a true believer, you're in this list. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So as, as believers, our victory over the world is not in question. In fact, as, as John says here, we already have overcome the world. We've already won. How? Through our faith. Does that mean that the battle is over again? No. As John himself talks about in 1 John, we still fight against the darkness. It still wants to devour us. But what? Take heart. You've overcome the world. You see the same thing in 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Little children, even young believers, not young just physically, but young spiritually, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, and this is very Ephesians 6.10, for he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. So because of the strength in us, because we are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, we can be confident, not just that we'll win, but that we'll win because we are stronger than the world. Because Christ is in us. That because he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world, we have overcome the world. So the Christian can fight confidently against the world. There's no reason for us to fear that the world is going to beat us. The same thing is true uh, against Satan. I mean, when when Jesus appeared on the scene, uh, we saw in Mark where it tells us that he bound the strong man, started pillaging his house. Uh, Well, that same confidence Jesus then gives to his troops later on. So if you look like, uh, for example, in, in Luke chapter 10. So we see this partially played out. In the lives of his disciples, Jesus, just the context, he has sent out these uh, 72 of his disciples and he sends them out in front of him uh, uh, to sort of prepare his way. You know, a bunch of mini Johns uh, going out and getting it ready for him to, to come as he's journeying toward and uh, eventually toward Jerusalem. And, and they're amazed at the power they have in the fight against their enemies and, and specifically in the fight against Satan. And his host, and look at what it says in in verses 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Well, it's it's not like Christian confidence has gone down since that point. And it's not like that's when we could be confident. But after that, it really went downhill for us. Uh, This is, the the power of Christ didn't peak in in Luke 10, right? And then sort of wane since then. The, The Christian can have great confidence in the face of all of the power of the enemy. There is no fear that we have. And, and the Bible tells us that confidence didn't just end with them, right? We get to Romans chapter 16, verse 20, and we see, what does it say there? 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Where? Under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So God's going to win the victory, but how's he going to win it? He's going to win the victory under our feet. Satan's head crushed under our feet, under the feet of his soldiers. Now, it's not because God could not crush it himself. It is not because Jesus could not uh, crush it himself. Obviously, Jesus and God are crushing it through us, like we talked about. This is, this is not a separate victory that we're winning. This is just the means through which God is determined to win that victory in the same way that God uses the preaching of the word to bring people to salvation. He is determined to use the preaching of fools uh, to bring about the salvation of the world. Now, he could just sort of speak from heaven to every individual, but he's determined to use the, the speaking of the word of God uh, from people like us to bring about change in the hearts of people who are like what we once were. The same way is true here. Uh, Jesus is winning his victory, but he's winning it through us. We are the means through which he is achieving uh, that. So the the Christian fights confidently, even against Satan, against death. We see the the same thing. Isaiah 25 verse 8, uh, it says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Death will be swallowed up. We will, we will see it uh, and we will be comforted by our king. And so then you get to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 54 through 57. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though although death is the last enemy to be defeated, the defeat is just about his full and final defeat. Because for the Christian, for the Christian, death has already been beaten. And I love what Calvin says about it. Calvin says, the sword of death, which could penetrate into our very hearts, has been blunted. It wounds nevertheless still, but without any real danger, for even if we die, it is but by dying that we enter into life. So you, you read a passage like Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We've been delivered from fear of death. We're not supposed to fear death anymore. Death may still dwell in us, but it no longer reigns in us. And so Jesus in this great sort of reversal has turned death on itself, using death to bring us to life. So in light of that, the Christian, the Christian is not afraid. There is a great confidence when we fight. We do so with confidence. There's no enemy that you and I face that we haven't already been told that we have beaten them or we will beat them. Not one. So in your fight against your, when you're looking at your, maybe you're looking at your marriage or you're looking at what you want your kids to become, or you're looking at what you want to be and how you want to glorify God in your life. And you're looking at that. And, and, and in the, in the face of that, you get a little scared. Look, don't lose confidence. Don't allow doubt or anxiety to cloud the promises of Jesus himself for your battles. When we fight, we fight with confidence. But it's not just that we're confident. It's not just that we sort of shore up our defenses. The Bible is going to tell us that as Christians, we're not on the defense, we're on offense. And so as Christians, we fight offensively. And Jesus' appearance wasn't, so when Jesus, Christmas is not just, this isn't just God sort of figuring out, well, how am I going to stem the tide of wickedness? The birth of Jesus isn't a defensive move on God's part. It was an offensive move. It was like, this is like landing craft on the beach of an enemy that you're about to invade. And so then it's not surprising that the Christian life then continues that offensive mission. The Christian life is offensive. And, and, and I don't just mean that the fallen world won't like our life. Now, that's, a, that's another use of the word offensive that is also true. 
but rather that as believers, it is our job to plunge the sword of the word into the heart of the dragon. Too often, the Christian life and God's kingdom with it is just sort of portrayed in like this holding pattern or almost like some sort of organized retreat. Maybe even uh, like a a spiraling down until Jesus has to swoop in and and save it all before it goes to pot. Like the the kingdom is is like a top that was spun 2,000 years ago, but it's kind of beginning to wobble a little bit. And yeah, like in Luke 10, it was really great. But since then, the power of Christ has sort of waned. That's not really the picture that we get of Jesus' power and the advancement uh, of, his, of his kingdom. It's not like his kingdom is going to be the tree and it's going to grow. And then it's going to look like the tree is about to wither and die. Um, Jesus comes in and, and gives it some fertilizer real fast. Uh, it's, it, that, that, the, the, the kingdom, uh, the Bible pictures the Christian on the front line. Now, not, in, not in a defensive posture, but driving the kingdom of God from nation to nation, right? When you get to the Great Commission, it is all right. Go and, I've got all authority in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's not like get there and kind of hold your ground and see if you can stay there. Uh, it's go and through the word, kill these people that you might bring them to life. Uh, fight and advance my kingdom from nation to nation and shore to shore. It's so funny. Because when you look at the Bible, it seems that our enemies are more certain of their defeat than we are. So, for example, you look at, what did we read about Satan in Revelation chapter 12? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. But but it's not just Satan. Our confidence in the battle... So when we're fighting confidently, it's reminding even our earthly enemies of their destruction. They, they can tell by, by the way we fight that they're going to lose. So, for example, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And what happens when we do that? When we strive side by side and we are not afraid of our enemies, when we're, not, when, we're, when we're not just holding firm, but plunging in. What does it say it does? It says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Our, our enemies, whether the fallen world or Satan or, or death, they know their destruction is coming. And when we fight, when we strive together, when, when, when we uh, are not frightened by them because we've got the confidence of Jesus... And we know, as, as John says, look, you have overcome them. Do not fear them. And when we believe that, and the world tries to squash us, and we go, yeah, not going to happen. I'm not afraid of you. In fact, I know if you try to squash me, you're going to be the one ending up limping back. You may be walking over, but you're going to be limping back. Like when, they, when we get that, and we believe that, and live that, right? When we're not just sort of in this defensive posture where we cave into the world here, but oh, hold on to a little bit of this and then cave into the world there. But when we send them go, no, this is Christ's kingdom and you need to obey your king. You need to fall down in worship of him or you will perish. You will taste his wrath. And I don't have to avenge you because he's going to avenge you and avenge me and bring wrath far greater than anything I could bring. When we do that, that's what actually convinces them of their destruction. How should we think about our fight? I think it's, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16 when he's talking to his disciples. This is a passage we all know. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? It's a great passage, especially if you're Catholic. Uh, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed as to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. 
And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This It's so funny because this, this passage this is a great, this is like a linchpin passage in Matthew's great passage. So many times we look at this and we'll talk about things like the gates of hell and we'll talk about the gates of hell as if the gates of hell are on the attack against Christianity. And we'll use this verse and we'll be like, look, church, or look, people, you don't have to worry that Satan's going to win because the gates of hell are not going to prevail. There's a problem with that, though. And the problem is this. Gates are not an offensive weapon. Right? No one's like, oh, no, they're bringing their gates. You know, like if they just put their door up in front of our door, all of a sudden it becomes their door and they can open it up and come in. Uh, this, is not, this is not like, you know, what are their siege weapons? They're bringing the French doors. Uh, you know, gates are not a, an offensive weapon. Gates are a defensive weapon. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that I'm going to win. The knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus will build his church on that knowledge, that that knowledge, that Jesus is the Christ, he says, on that knowledge, I will build my church, I will build my kingdom, and hell cannot stop its progress. In other words, the picture he's giving is of hell trying to shut the gates and stop Christ's kingdom from invading its kingdom. Right? You of, of overtaking this is trying to stop the invasion. This is putting up the fortifications on Normandy Beach, and Jesus is saying, Look, it's not gonna work. Hell is going to try and bar the doors, but it is it is out of its own clutches that Christ rescues. It, 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 Jesus is gonna plunder hell itself. And it will rage like Satan does, but redemption and salvation will win. The kingdom cannot be stopped. I, I don't understand how this passage ever became used in a defensive way instead of recognizing, look, Christian, have confidence when you go out and share the gospel with the nations. Have confidence when you talk to your neighbors. Why? Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the gospel. And so you can live biblically, you can live wisely, and you can know that even if they kill you while you do it, you will win. The kingdom will advance even if it is through your death because the kingdom advanced in your life through your death to begin with. So you get to a passage like 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare. So how are we supposed to think about the sword? What is the purpose of the sword? Is it just to parry the blows of Satan? Is this just another means by which to deflect his fiery darts? What does it say? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So again, we get that same picture of gates and strongholds. God gives us these weapons to attack. Weapons that will destroy the strongholds of this world because they come from him. What exactly we think these strongholds are uh, isn't important. But what is important is God has not given us defensive weapons here. Our weapons are meant to be offensive. We're not just confident. And we're not just confident that the world's not just going to squash us. We're confident that in the end, the light will drive away the dark. We have these God-blessed weapons that will destroy the work of the enemy unless somehow the enemy is stronger than God. If the enemy is not stronger than God and God has given us weapons to destroy their strongholds, either the enemy's strongholds will be stronger than our God and they will not work, which of course is not the answer, or God has given us weapons that can and will destroy the strongholds of this world. And, that, and what's funny is, if you look at the picture of world history, that's what's happened. The gospel has exploded onto the scene of this world, and it was spread from one corner of the earth to the other through the preaching of the word. And there was no place where hell could create its different gates, including gates of communism and whatnot, that could stop the spread of the gospel. So you see, I mean, you can see it now. The, 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 the world is trying to throw up a hellish gate of something like communism that is trying to squash out the, the Christ and the church in China is exploding. Why? Because our weapons destroy strongholds, even when those strongholds are built on the backs of billions of people. This is the means, the preaching of the word, the living of the Christian life. These are the means 
of Jesus' kingdom expansion. This is what the sword does. And, and that's what, it's always important for us to see that when we fight, we fight with the sword of the word. And when we use the word to tell us how to live, to proclaim Christ to others, when we are driven ourselves by the word and we use the word to slay sin in us and we use the word to slay sin in others, the kingdom of God will not be stopped. It will defeat his enemies and it will tear down their strongholds. And that when he gets to their gates, they can't do anything to stop him in his kingdom. So the Christian fights offensively. And when this happens, the world will either hate this or love it. So there's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, which is, parallels what we saw uh, already. We're going to see this. Uh, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So it's this, this wonderful picture. We get Paul, as he, he said in the context, he's so getting this picture of triumph. And remember that what the, the triumph was, this, this marching of uh, where the emperor would come in with his enemies in front of him and, and, and triumphing over them. And Paul says that he intended, he intended to preach the gospel in Troas. This is what he was intending to do. But instead, he went to Macedonia. And he realized that his life was not his, but the Lord's. And he tells us, this is, this is sort of the picture here. I'm being led. I'm being told where to go. And he says he rejoiced in this because he knows that Jesus has won. Jesus, who parades his fallen enemies before him. But now, so we saw that. But now we see that in that procession of fallen enemies, it's not just the enemies of this world. It's not just rulers and authorities. Who else is in that procession? Us. We're there too. So, so in this triumph of Christ, there are two sets of enemies led before Christ. Those who have been defeated and those who've been redeemed. Both previously enemies. One now walks in shame. The other walks in victory. Somehow, those who were once the enemies are now walking in victory. And it's just great, this crazy picture in this triumph of Christ for the first time. You have an enemy in front of the one who beat them, but rejoicing in their defeat. Rejoicing that they've been beaten because them being beaten by Christ and his kingdom is the greatest thing that ever happened to them. And when we do that, he says, we become an aroma of the, that, that spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And it becomes to some people who look at us and see this weird sight of those who were beaten, rejoicing and being beaten. To some people, it will be to them the aroma of death. To others, the aroma of life. But there is nothing that can stop that aroma from spreading everywhere. So in the parade, it is, it is we marching with our enemies. They, they, they are in the front sort of facing the jeers. We're with Christ as he's receiving this praise. And, and, and if the enemies are a proclamation of, of look who, who I've beaten, we're a proclamation of look what I've won. And our lives are this aroma of victory. It's like, it's like this is a picture of this burned incense in celebration. And then our lives then in that victory it spread the news of that victory to every corner of the world so the christian then fights very offensively when we live that christian life there is an offensiveness that is spreading the victory of christ everywhere so the christian fights prayerfully he fights confidently he fights offensively and uh, and lastly we'll see he fights joyously as christians we fight joyously because what we realize as Christians is not only are we going to win in the end, we know that if we fight, uh, the life we fight for is better. And so if we know that my life will be better after the fight than it was before the fight, if we have confidence in that, then there's no struggle. There's no struggle that if we go through this, will it be worth it, right? There's no question. It isn't, you're not going to find yourselves on some sort of like uh, existential Christian Vietnam here. 
where in the end you were all going to sit around talking going, man, was that even worth it? You know, what were we, what were we doing? What, there's there's going to be no talk about anything uh, like that because for the Christian, life is war, but war is heavenly. Because we know, one, we know that our fighting is purposeful. What is the joyous aspect of, of our work? We know that it all has a purpose. So James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We know that every trial that comes our way, every battle, every struggle, everything we do, when we fight against that, there's always a purpose in that. In this case, it is always going to have its full effect of making us perfect and complete where we lack nothing. So if you know, hey, you've got to go through this fight, but when you go through this fight, at the end of your fight, however many battles you have to wage to get there, the end result is your perfection and completion where you lack nothing. Then you'll go, okay, that's worth it. We know that our fight is going to be the end of our tears. We saw this already in Isaiah, but it's repeated again in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. You've got this great scene in Revelation of this, this renewal of the garden, where we're going this back to Eden, but instead of a garden in Eden, you've got the whole earth that is now this garden. Where God is dwelling with man, he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne. Remember this pulling back again, these pictures that we've seen of Christ. He who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So for the Christian, we know the end of this, what's going to be the end outcome of our war is that all things will be made new. And that is the assurance of our final victory. So Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39 says, Knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power. So here's all those enemies, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so what happens? So when we march, when we fight, we, 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 we are not like those being sent into the killing fields. We're not troops forced to march to our death. We don't have a king who's leading us to our slaughter. We have a king who's leading us to our victory. And so we confidently and offensively move out. And we do so with joy because we know that our fighting always ends in victory. So we slap on every piece of armor. We grab our swords and we do it with a smile. With joy burning in our hearts. So how does the Christian fight? The Christian fights prayerfully, confidently, offensively, and joyously. That's how we fight. You want to fight the good fight? That's what it looks like. You want to wage the good warfare? Here are the passages where the Lord is telling us what our fight looks like and what we must remember and how we must do it. So the question is for you as a Christian, how are you fighting? When you, when you talk about, I'm fighting for my home, or I'm, I, I'm, man, I really want to, uh, I just want to delight in the Lord, and, and I just want to glorify Him with my life. Well, what does that look like? And it doesn't look like you just being, a, right? It's not just you being a, a candle and putting it under a bushel of your house, uh, and sort of, well, the enemy's not going to get this place. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to get those places either. So go out there and proclaim His name. Go from nation to nation, go from home to home with the confidence of the gospel, always never being blunted. It is death that is blunted, not the sword. It is their sword that is blunted, never Christ's. And so we confidently go out and share. We know that the kingdom will always move, it will always grow. And we can have assurance that in the end, the result will be our joy. So Christian, look at your life. One, are you prayerful against your enemies? When you fight, are you fighting prayerfully? When you think about 
okay, maybe you are fighting to okay, say you cannot have my home. So I'm going to kill any advance you make in my life or my family's life or the life of my children or my wife. And then uh, whatever it is, like, are you doing that prayerfully? Are you recognizing, hey, the only hope I have is the, conf- is, 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 is the Lord. I need his strength or, or I need his power. I know this doesn't come from me. I know my strength is only because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So I can't just, uh, you don't want to become like the sons of Sceva, right? You don't want to become like a, our own version of that where we're confident in ourselves. And then in the end, we run away naked. We don't want that. We want to have our confidence ever and always in the Lord. And if that's the case, you will always be prayerful. And not just at the start of the fight, but during the fight as well. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in a fight where you went into it with good intentions and at the end of it came out of it and said, well, that didn't work at all. Uh, you went into it going, I'm going to glorify the Lord in this conversation with my spouse. And you're going to walk out saying, maybe next time. Uh, so I'm going to let my mouth get away with me a little bit. Uh, I'm going to work on that. Uh, you know what doesn't happen, when that won't happen? When every time before every word comes out of your mouth, you're thinking prayerfully about what you should say. Normally, if a fight goes askew, it is because when we fought, we quit praying. It is hard to say mean things while at the same time talking to the Lord because you want to make sure you don't get your lines mixed up, right? <laughs> so you don't, you want to recognize you can't be talking to him about how much you want to glorify him while then spewing out of your mouth things that are ungodly and unholy and you know, maybe gossiping about others or uh, just being a, a curmudgeon to your wife or whatever it is, you know, uh, like you don't want those things don't happen. When we go into, you know, uh, we talked about, you know, how men tend to flow out of the mouth, sometimes say things they shouldn't say. And uh, women sometimes tend to, you know, be very loud in their silence. Uh, but, you know, you won't do that. I don't know if you've ever tried to be silent or give the cold shoulder while praying is very hard. You feel really bad about it. Uh, and so you're like, well, I am mad at you. So let me pray. And then you're like, I am the loser, not you. Uh, Or maybe we both are. Uh, But if you're being prayerful when you're fighting for these things, you're far more likely to glory. If we we're going to glory, if we quit praying, we've already quit glorifying the Lord because we've started to make it about it. Maybe the only way you'd quit praying is if all of a sudden you were confident in you rather than confident in him. So are you fighting prayerfully? You go into these conversations with your house, with your kids, with your wife. Are you going in asking to be humbled by the Lord? If you are, there's a far greater chance at the end of it that you'll come out with a prideful victory. Are you confident when you, uh, are you, are you, confident when you uh, go to hack at your enemies? Are you fighting confidently? Are you a confident Christian? Are you confident in the power of the Lord uh, and the power of this sword? Or do you think that the only thing Christians have left is the armor, is shields? A sword is just, is the sword just become another shield? Is that all it is? Did God just not have another word for shield? So he was like the shield of faith and then the sword of the Lord. But just really, it's going to be a shield too, guys. Or is it an actual sword? Are these really divinely inspired weapons to destroy strongholds? Are these really things that the gates of hell cannot stop? If they are, then you'll be confident when you use them and you'll be offensive are, are you being offensive in your christian life are you being offensive against sin against satan or, or are you just constantly sort of parrying blows ever and always on the defensive just trying to hold your ground maybe the problem is you're just trying to hold your ground you've lost confidence you've lost your confidence in the lord you've you've lost the call for him to drive to kill the sin and you don't kill the sin by just you stab it to death You kill it with the word. And so you kill it with the word. Once it comes into your heart and tells you to act this way and do this, you say, no, this is what the word of God says. Wham! And you stab it. You kill it. You don't just keep defending it. If if you've ever noticed, if all you do against sin is trying to defend yourself against it instead of killing it, you'll defend yourself against it till the rest of your life. It's only in boxing that you can make someone miss for 12 rounds and end up being the winner. And as Christians, I think sometimes that's how we think the Christian fight goes. Miss me. Miss me, miss me, miss me, I win. And that's not what it is. It's supposed to be bad guy, sword, kill. Right? Sin, temptation, trial, take the word of God. This is what the word of God says I must do and what I must believe. That is the opposite of that. I kill it. So those thoughts, they don't stay. I'm not just trying to get them off my back. 
and then here they go again, like some sort of gremlin always hopping on. Throw it off and kill it and stab it and stab it with the word of God till it dies. We are like so many Christians in those campy horror movies who feel like because we stabbed the sin one time, it must be over. And then that same sin, what do you know, like, like some sort of Jason resurrects and is back on us again. Stab the sin with the word of God over and over and over because it will kill it. Because the power of Christ in you does that. So fight confidently, fight offensively against sin, against Satan. Don't just look at your neighbors and think, well, too bad for them. Like, these are people made in the image of God. They are living lives in, in rebellion against the king. And what's funny is if we had some sort of Chinese nationalist flying a Chinese flag across the street, we'd probably go out and fight him, punch him in the face. Like, this is America. But we've got neighbors living around us who are worshiping a false god and are living in rebellion to the true king. And we look at them and go, oh, too bad. We do not come to them with the word over and over and over until they, until they leave, <laughs> right? Until they move out, won't answer the door or kill us. We don't do that. We're not offensive. And often, in the end, we're not joyous. Are you fighting joyously? Do you believe that, that where, where this all has come from and where this all is leading? Do you believe that? This is from the Lord. The Lord has given me these weapons. He's the one who's given me this armor. He's the one who's given me this mission. And I know, I may not know what it's going to mean in uh, my Uh, house what the fight is going to look like but i know in the end what the end result is going to be i don't know how my neighbor is going to react to me talking to them about the gospel and sharing with them uh, the good news of christ and telling them look you've got to you've got to bow uh or you will die um i don't know how that's going to go in this conversation but i know what the end result will be and so however i end up having to get there i know what the end is and so i can then do this joyously There's a reason that the Christian martyrs even were able to sing songs while they were burning at the stake. Were able to frighten the Romans because as they died, they did so singing hymns. And the Romans were like, that's some messed up people. Where has that confidence gone? Where has that joy gone? A lot of it is because we have begun to assume that the sword of the Lord is a blunted blade when it is not. It is their weapons that have been blunted. It is our enemy that has been bound. It is the lion of Judah and the word of the Lord that has sprung out upon this world, bringing good news to all peoples. May we believe that and may we fight like we believe it. May we fight for it in our lives. May we fight for it in our homes. May we fight for it in our neighborhoods. May we fight every day until the day we die and live forever. Let's pray. Just take a moment. If we're, gonna, if we're talking about fighting and the very first thing we saw was the importance of fighting prayerfully, let's just all just take a moment to pray. Uh, and to ask the Lord to show us how we're fighting, right? Let his spirit, who will not hide these things from us, the spirit, you're not going to be not fighting and, and God not tell you. Um, right now, you've probably known as we've walked through this word, the, the Holy Spirit has probably already been convicting you about things. And the joyously sad fact is that he'll probably continue to convict us of things throughout the week. If we'll continue to meditate on these and on these passages, he's probably just laying out one thing to then lay out the next thing and the next thing. But whatever the Spirit has convicted you of or maybe even encouraged you in, just take a moment right now to pray. To thank God that you even want to fight and then to pray that you would fight the right way.
and then look at the way you're, you're fighting. Look for confidence, for the, the confidence that makes you offensive in the work for the kingdom and, and the joy that fills your heart. And then ask for those things there. Father, we come to you today and God, we know that there is no fight in us because of us. We have overcome the enemy, but how? Through our faith. And who is the one that gives us our faith? You. So we can't boast in ourselves. There's no place to boast in us. It's all a free gift, but it's not a free gift to then make us inactive. And it's the gift of faith by which we might, in faith, fight against not just flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers and heavenly places, Father, against uh, the, those uh, rulers over this present darkness, Father, all of those things. God, may we fight. May we not just be in a holding pattern, but may we be rejoicing in who you are and confidently uh, being led in triumph by our King. Your triumph continues. Your work continues. Your kingdom continues. May we believe that. And may we see our place and our purpose in in that work. All of it by your grace and for your glory. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.